Did you know that in both 2004, the Olympics in Athens, and the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, the U.S. women's team should have won the 4 by 100 meter relay? Why? Because they had the fastest team. But both teams blew it in the exchange zone. In 2004, the, first run, the second runner took off a split second too fast, and the first runner couldn't get the baton to her in the exchange zone, and they were disqualified. In 2008, as the second runner passed the baton to the third runner, she dropped it, again disqualifying them. Church, I want you to understand today that the success or a failure of a team depends on how well the baton is passed. And the same is true with any church. We have been entrusted to pass the torch of faith to the next generation. You see, friends, in the end, it doesn't really matter how large our attendance becomes. It doesn't really matter how good the worship is or even how good the sermons are. If we do not effectively pass the torch of faith to the next generation, the next generation will not hear about the faithfulness of God. A great example of what we're talking about is in the Old Testament when the baton of leadership was passed from Moses to Joshua. Joshua did an outstanding job leading the three million plus Jewish people into the promised land. And yet when he died, the Bible tells us that the next generation did not know about the Lord or the work he had done. And so while Joshua did a great job of leading, he dropped the baton when it came time to pass it on to the next generation. An entire generation didn't know how much God loved them. Here's what I want you to hear me say. This church has a responsibility to pass the torch of faith and leadership. This is our fourth core value as a church. We raise up the next generation. And the image to help us remember this is pass the torch. We see this in Psalm chapter 145, verse 4. It says, one generation shall commend your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. Here's why this is a value for us. Here's why this matters. Statistics show that most people who become followers of Jesus do so before the age of 18. According to Barna's research, two-thirds of Christians come to faith in Christ before the age of 18. 43% come to Christ before the age of 12. Less than one-fourth of current believers came to faith after the age of 21. And if you look here at our own congregation, here at Bachelor Creek in 2023, we have had 36 baptisms. And 26 of those 36 baptisms have been kids and students under the age of 18. And so we can see there's a real need to raise up the next generation. Well, why aren't all churches doing that? I think we can look around in our own community and we can see churches that have uh, closed their doors in the last decade. And you can look and it would appear that that many more will in the next decade. Why don't churches raise up the next generation? Let me give you a couple of reasons. One, they prioritize preferences over people. Preferences over people. Listen, we all have preferences. And preferences aren't bad. You might prefer different music. You might prefer that people dress differently. 
You might prefer the sound to be louder or softer. You might prefer the light to be brighter or dimmer. You might prefer the preaching to be better, you and me both. It's okay to have preferences, but it's not okay to let your preferences take priority over reaching people with the gospel. Our mission is making and growing disciples of Jesus. And this is so easy to do. It's so easy to prioritize your preferences. Let me be clear. When a church makes decisions based on personal preferences and not reaching the next generation, that is a church that has an expiration date. So think about your own life. What are some preferences that you allow to take priority over reaching people? So some churches prioritize preferences over people. Second, some churches mistake methods for mission. They confuse methods for mission. I've heard it said before that you are to marry the mission, but date the method. Why? Because methods change. Some of you who have been around a while, you can look back over the last 100 years and you can see how methods in churches and ministries have changed. In the 1960s and 1970s, bus ministries were huge in churches. That churches would, would buy school buses and they would go around and they would pick kids up throughout the community and, and there were a lot of churches that were built on strong bus ministries. Growing up in, in the 1990s, I can remember uh, the True Love Waits movement was huge and there were conferences and, and speakers and, and bands all around these True Love Waits conferences. That was a big thing. Revivals used to be huge. Churches used to have like week-long revivals, and before that there were tent revivals, and, and that's how people were, were, were reached with the gospel. There, there was a time when, when people were really big on handing out Bible tracts, and that, that was a method. Sunday school is a method. Church choirs are methods. Some of you remember this. Teaching kids with flannel graph, that's a method. Anybody remember flannel graph? Yeah? You look at today, well, what, what are some methods? Well, digital ministry is huge. Uh, evangelizing through social media and, and creating high-quality content on, on YouTube. I know of churches that are beginning eSports ministries, right? That, that, the, these are methods that, that, that are being used today. And when you find a church that is driven by mission, the question they ask is not, what method do I personally like the most? but rather, what will it take to best fulfill our mission? So what's at stake? What happens if we don't raise up the next generation? If we don't raise up the next generation in the faith, there won't be faith in the next generation. The church is always one generation away from extinction. If we don't pass on our faith to the next generation, who will? The reality is many churches shut their doors long, many, many churches die long before they shut their doors. Very few churches die overnight. It almost always happens slowly and subtly. And by the time they realize there's a problem, it's too late. Lifeway Research reports that in 2019, 4,500 Protestant churches in the United States closed their doors and only 3,000 new churches started. That's a problem. I think about even closer to home. My grandmother lives in Converse, 
and she lives right next door to a church that three months ago closed their doors. Now, 30 years ago, this was a church of a few hundred people. And 20 years ago, it was a church of a couple hundred people. And 15 years ago, it was a church of 100 people. And then 50 people, and then 25 people, until there was no more. And slowly and subtly, there wasn't just one major thing that happened, but slowly the kids began to disappear in the church. And the young families began to disappear. And then one day they wake up and they look around and they say, where's the young people? And they start complaining, we need young people in our church, we need young families in the church. It's too late. See, they made a conscious decision 30 years ago that they were going to care about their own personal preferences more than they were about reaching the next generation. And that church has an expiration date. And the reason at Bachelor Creek we're so passionate about raising up the next generation is because as we've already talked about in week one, we are a congregation that stands on biblical truth. And scripture commands us to pass the torch of faith to the next generation. And we see this perhaps no more clearly than in Psalm 78. We're going to read this passage together, Psalm 78, beginning in verse 1. And I want to invite you to stand as we read God's word together. My people, hear my teaching. Listen to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth with a parable. I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, his power and the wonders he has done. He decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel, which he commanded our ancestors to teach their children. So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they in turn would tell their children. They would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, the stubborn and rebellious generation, whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. It's important for us to keep in mind that in this day, the common person did not have access to a personal copy of the scriptures. The printing press wasn't invented until 1440, and it was expensive, and it took a whole lot of time to hand copy scripture. And so the way that people would learn the story of God was through oral transmission. Generation after generation would pass on the story of God's love and God's faithfulness through word of mouth. And so we look at this psalm, and it begins in verse 1 by saying, My people, hear my teaching, listen to the words of my mouth. Do you notice the sense of urgency here? This isn't a mere suggestion. This is a command. God calls us to pass the torch. Verse 2, I will utter hidden things, things from of old, things we have heard and known, things our ancestors have told us. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation. So here, the psalmist shares who we are supposed to pass the torch to. He says, our ancestors passed on stories of God's faithfulness to us, and we are going to tell those stories to the next generation. I want to see, by a show of hands, how many of you are a part of a family that has three generations that are following the Lord? 
Okay, show of hands. How many of you have three generations in your family who are following the Lord? That's awesome. Now, keep your hands up if all three of those, uh, those generations are worshiping here at Bachelor Creek. Okay? Well, I, I did a little uh, research. I had some help this week. But I discovered that there are 11, at least 11 families in this church that have four generations following the Lord. That's what Psalm 78 is about. But, but maybe that's not you. Maybe you didn't grow up in a Christian home where your parents didn't follow Jesus and your grandparents didn't follow Jesus. And you came to faith because a friend invited you to church or a coworker or a neighbor shared the gospel with you. You came to faith as an adult. You know what? You have the opportunity now to pass on a faith that wasn't handed down to you. You get to change the spiritual tide in your family. You have the opportunity to, to change the spiritual cycle in your family for generations. It starts with you. Well, what are we supposed to teach the next generation? Again, look at what the psalmist instructs in verse 4. He says, tell the next generation of his power. Okay, So tell, this is who God is. This is his character. This is his nature. Verse 4 continues. Tell the next generation his praiseworthy deeds and the wonders he has done. So you tell them, this is what God has done. This is how God has acted in history. Can I ask, do your children know your testimony? Do your children know how God has worked in your life? Do they know how he has answered prayers? Because it's one thing to teach your kid that God is creator and God is sustainer, but it's quite another thing to tell them, this is what God has done in my life personally. Verse 5 says that he decreed statutes for Jacob and established the law in Israel. In other words, he's saying, this is how you are to live. This is how you should honor God. This is how you should live in a way that reflects the heart of God. Now, notice the order here is so incredibly important. Our faithful living is in response to who God is and what God has already done for us. That's the gospel. The starting point isn't go do this and go do that. No, it's based on who God is, His character, and how He has acted in history. And why do we do this? Verse 6 says, So the next generation would know them, even the children yet to be born, and they, in turn, would tell their children. Again, show of hands, how many of you here today are grandparents? How many grandparents do we have? That's awesome. And isn't that your greatest prayer? I know that you pray for your, your families to be healthy. I know that you pray for your families to be successful. But isn't your greatest desire and prayer that your kids and your grandkids and one day your great-grandkids would have faith passed on to them? It reminds me of the Apostle John. He said in 3, 3 John uh, chapter 1, verse 4, he says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. I think that's the prayer of every grandparent. So what I want you to see, the big idea from Psalm 78, is a faith that is passed on is a faith that becomes planted in. A faith that is passed on to the next generation becomes a faith that is planted in the hearts of the next generation. 
But again, even if that's not your story, even if you don't have a legacy of faith that was passed on to you, there's still something that Psalm 78 has. Look at verse 7. Then they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not faithful to him. And so even if those who've gone before you weren't faithful, even if, if the family legacy in your family is not one of faith, there are still lessons you can learn. The, the psalmist here highlights the tendency of our ancestors to forget God's wonders, leading to rebellion and unfaithfulness. And it's a sobering reminder for all of us to learn from the mistakes of the past so that we avoid them ourselves. If uh, you've ever played in a golf scramble before, a four-man best ball scramble, you're in a team of four, and all four people tee off from the same place, and then of those four shots, you take the best one, and everybody hits their second shot from there, and you just repeat this pattern uh, until you get the ball into the cup. Now, once the ball gets on the green, let's say that your team has a 12-foot putt, okay, and the first person goes up there, and and they aim directly at the cup, and, and it breaks to the left. Well, the second person goes up there, and they now know that it breaks to the left, but, but, but they hit it a little too hard, and it, it just flies past the hole. Well, if you're the fourth person putting, you have seen three people make mistakes in front of you. Three people have shown you how not to do it. And so a wise golfer, a smart golfer, is going to avoid the mistakes of those who have gone before them and learn the lessons. And the same is true. If you have not had faith that's been passed on to you, learn from those mistakes and avoid them yourself. What's it going to take to raise up the next generation? How do we do it? Studies show that 75% of kids who are part of a strong evangelical church will leave the church in any connection to Christ from ages 18 to 29. Can you just think about that for a moment? If we have a room of 100 elementary kids in Upstreet today, If that statistic holds true, 75 of those kids, when they graduate from high school, will stop any connection with the church and any connection with Christ. And that breaks my heart. Church, that's unacceptable. But I think the more pressing question is, what was going on right in the 25% who stayed? Right? You ready for this? Research shows five things were true of the 25% who did not leave the church and who did not leave a relationship with Christ from age 18 to 29. Here they are. First, they ate dinner five of seven nights a week as a family. Two, they served with their families in a faith-based ministry. Three, they had at least one significant spiritual experience in the home during the week. Four, They were entrusted with significant responsibility in a ministry at a young age. And five, they had at least one adult in their lives other than their parents who believed the same thing as their parents. Now, when I read that, you know what struck me? This isn't rocket science. This isn't complex. It's actually pretty simple. So, based on these studies and based on the counsel of God's Word, what's it look like for us to pass the torch to the next generation? How do we put that into practice? 
Let me give you a few ways. First, I think it begins by modeling faith in the home. It begins as parents modeling and showing what it looks like to live a faithful life. I believe that the greatest gift you can give a child is a growing mom and dad. A mom and dad who is growing in their faith, who their relationship with Jesus is one of consistency and it's one of obedience, and you're sharing and you're showing that with your children. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 instructs us to diligently teach God's commands to our children. It is a holistic approach that involves integrating faith into everyday life, discussing and living the principles of God. The second way that we pass the torch is through multi-generational mentoring. Multi-generational mentoring. This year we unveiled our 10-year vision as a church, and it begins by stating we are a multi-generational church. See, see, that is fundamental to, to who we are. It's one of the reasons we believe so strongly in small groups, not just for adults, but for our kids and students too. Because Titus 2 says that the older men are to teach the younger men, and the older women are to teach the younger women. Did you know that every Sunday, our elementary students, our middle school students, and our high school students spend time in a small group with an older adult? Because we know that multi-generational mentoring matters. It is critical for us to have adults pouring into our kids' lives, which means that we don't just teach doctrines, but we're mentoring in the sense that we're demonstrating what a life fully devoted to God looks like. It's why Bachelor Creek is so invested in kids' hope, because something powerful happens when a kid has an adult mentor in their life. Kids' Hope reports that 87% of students who are mentored improve in academic skills. 86% of those students improved in positive behavior. It takes a village. It takes a town. It takes a community. It takes a church to raise a child. And as I look back on my own personal journey, I'm grateful to God that I had parents who modeled faith to me. But you know what? So did my grandparents. And my youth minister, Russ Smith, influenced and inspired me to want to go into ministry myself. And I had a a volunteer youth leader named Ryan Siebold, who when I was in middle school took me out for pizza and shared the gospel with me. And I had small group leaders in high school, Tom Davis and Ben Reed, who gave so generously of their time and put up with all sorts of nonsense. But they poured their life into mine. And so my spiritual life has been shaped by all of these influences. We, we pass the torch to the next generation also by having a targeted investment in our kids and student ministries. Bachelor Creek has a rich history of investing in the next generation. We do it through investing in our resources and our giving. Did you know that Bachelor Creek pays for half the cost of every student who goes to camp? Whether they go to Camp Kid Jam or they go to the Ark or CIY Mix or CIY Move, Half of every student's cost is paid for through your faithful and consistent giving. And that adds up to probably tens of thousands of dollars every single year. We are invested in the next generation. We do it through our staffing. We have dedicated staff members over birth through pre-K and elementary and our student ministries. We do that through making sure that, that our kids and student environments are friendly and welcoming and are effective ministry spaces.
Our next-gen team works together to make sure that we help our students transition in those pivotal moments from pre-K to elementary and from elementary to middle school, from middle school to high school, and from high school to young adulthood. And because of this investment, we are seeing some incredible growth in our next-gen ministries right now. If you remember back last May, we dedicated 18 babies in our baby day dedication. And by the looks of it, it's going to be just about that much next year in 2024. In the past couple of weeks, Tiny Town and Upstreet, we've seen more kids in those areas than we have just about as any point we can remember in our history. And it's because of this sort of growth that we're just so excited. When we think about, uh, it's awesome to see Luke here, 89 uh, students went to CIY uh, move this past summer. Uh, David is taking the largest group ever to, uh, of 18 to 25ers to Passion Conference in, in January. And so it, it's in light of this growth and it's in, in light of this deeply rooted value of raising up the next generation. And I am so thrilled and excited today to be able to announce to you that we have hired JT Canary to be our next student minister. Can we just, can we celebrate that? <clears throat> You'll get to know JT over the next couple of weeks, but uh, he's married. He has a wife named Kaylee, and uh, they are uh, wrapping up a ministry in the Kokomo area, so, so they're not far from here now. Uh, but they're both from Florida, and uh, they're going to officially start with us uh, in about six weeks on January 2nd uh, will be their official start. But over the next couple of weeks, uh, JT and Kaylee are going to make their way up here and have a chance to meet students and hopefully be a part of a couple of uh, youth group nights on Sunday nights. And we are so, so thrilled um, to, to be able to, to welcome them uh, to our Bachelor Creek family. I also want to thank uh, David Diener and Tyler Leland for leading in this interim period. Um, they have done just an incredible job going above and beyond their normal responsibilities. And I want to thank the search team who spent many hours praying and searching and reading through resumes and conducting interviews and doing everything that goes on with that. And so uh, I, I want to thank uh, Jason Dawes and Chad McWirt and Alyssa Dieter and Sarah Adderman, as well as Tyler and David, for just the time that they spent uh, to get the right person to help lead our students. And so can we thank our search team as well? <clears throat> and as JT and Kaylee begin to make their way to Bachelor Creek, one of the best ways that you can help them begin their ministry here is to serve alongside of them. Is God calling you to raise up the next generation by serving with our kids or serving with our students? You know, we, we pass the torch by partnering with local and national next-gen ministries. At Bachelor Creek, we have some incredible partnerships. We partner with Youth for Christ at Campus Life. We partner with The Access in downtown Wabash. We partner in support with the Art Christian Ministries and Converse, Woodburn Christian Home up near Fort Wayne. Here locally, by partnering and supporting Blessings in a Backpack. Last month, we took a mission trip to Mountain Mission School in Grundy, Virginia. We support and partner Christ and Youth, CIY, as well as some college ministries, InterVarsity, Purdue Campus House, Ball State Campus House. That this helps us not just raise up the next generation here, but throughout our community and throughout our country. Well, finally, we pass the torch by encouraging kingdom work 
and full-time ministry. I did a quick count this week, and I found at least 16 people who grew up at Bachelor Creek that are now serving in full-time ministry. Some of them are lead ministers like Darren Moranti. Others are serving as student ministers like Nick Ridenauer, Chad Kirtland, and Blake Wynn. Some are missionaries like Jason Roth. And there are some who grew up here that have come back to serve here on staff, like David Diener and Tyler Leland and Taylor McFarland. You know, Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And we are a church that raises up kingdom workers. And in doing so, we're not only impacting this church and this community, but by raising up the next generation, this church's influence extends to churches in Springfield, Missouri, and in Burlington, Kentucky, and in places like the Dominican Republic, and Barbados, and West Africa. So as we wrap up, I want to ask you, what are you doing to pass the torch of faith to the next generation? Because every single one of us has a role, and every single one of us has a responsibility. What is one step you can begin to take to raise up the next generation? For 178 years, this is who we have been as a church. And until Christ returns, we are committed to being a church that raises up the next generation. May the words of Psalm 78 verse 4 resonate in our hearts. We will not hide them from their descendants. We will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, His power and the wonders He has done. Church, this is us. Passing the torch. Raising up the next generation for the glory of God. Would you pray with me? God, we we thank you for the command that we have in Scripture to not be selfish with our faith, but, but to share it eagerly and excitedly. God, you have called us to raise up the next generation in the faith. And God, I pray that we would do that, that we would be passionate about it, that, that we would give resources, that we would equip, that we would model faith. God, that we would be a church that ensures that more and more and more disciples of Jesus are made and that those disciples are grown in their faith. I thank you for the legacy of faith in this church. And God, I pray that that light continues to shine, that that torch continues to be passed long after any of us are gone. Most of all, God, we're thankful that we have a faith that can be passed on in the first place. We're thankful that the gospel tells us that that Jesus went to a cross and he died for our sins so that those who are alienated and, and, and away from God because of sin have a way to come to you and be in relationship with you, and it's all through Jesus. God, thank you for the forgiveness that we receive. Thank you for the hope and new life that we have. God, I pray that 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 faith, the gospel, would be what is on the tip of our tongues, that it would be in our conversations, that it would be all for your glory as we raise up the next generation in the faith. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.